about abortion. But it's something that's never going to happen. Why would you not try to have, you know, you've got abortion, my penis. I, I took your advice. Welcome back. The Renaissance 72. Right. How are you, Ray? Um, I'm not sure exactly how abortion ties in with either Hillary or the Renaissance, but uh, hey, I'm game. Monkey sex, well, whatever. I can do it all. It's Common sense is not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it's hour two. Uh... Anyway. Ah, let's talk about uh, Cosimo. Yes. <clears throat> now, in the, in the last episode, Ray, we were talking about how uh, around about the time of the fall of Constantinople, mm-hmm. a lot of the Greek scholars uh, left before the Turks came in and they went to Florence and, and, and other places too, but large amount went to Florence and they took with them their Greek manuscripts Right. Uh, which was great news for Florence and for the Renaissance and for Cosimo. Now, we yes. like to think of the Renaissance as a revival of science and humanism and philosophy and mathematics, but uh, it, it also had irrational beliefs in things like uh, alchemy and astrology seeing a big uh, uh, uptake as well. Ah, right. People people were free to explore all sorts of topics after a thousand years of being told not to pay attention to anything that wasn't related to Jesus. There was right. a huge appetite for knowledge and people were into everything. You know, anything that looked interesting, they'd be like, fuck yes. Oh, right. it's like us and podcasts. There's no topic <laughs> that we won't get we into because we're just greedy for... right. Fun stuff to talk about. Exactly. Well, let let me ask a real quick question because you said, I get that people are hungering for knowledge um, and more truth. I get all this stuff. But so what's changed in the last thousand years? Is the church just coming down less hard on this thing? Is the church trying to be more open or is it is it harder to ignore facts or is it harder to ignore some of these ancient ideas that are making a revival with these manuscripts are being found? Because you can want to research and discover the world all you want, but if the authorities keep burning people for doing such things, you, you think it would it would either not happen or it would be happening underground. So is the church, to the best of your knowledge, is the church loosening up or is it just Cosmo can do whatever the fuck he wants because he is running Florence? Yeah, well, I, you know, we, well, it was a combination of things. If you're talking mm-hmm. about the church, if you mean the church in the West, right. the, the, the um, popes had a lot less power in Italy than they had had previously. You know, the papal states were, themselves have been fought over. Places right. like uh, Venice and Florence had quasi-democracies that, that they had relationships with popes on and off and also with European kings on and off, but they pretty much did their own thing. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, you had your your dukes, the Viscontis, we're going to talk about this episode in Milan. Again, these people saw themselves as pretty much independent of the church. Yes, they were still Christians, Right. But they also had an interest in humanism that had been growing for several generations. And if the Pope came in and tried to say, all right, we're going to excommunicate you or we're going to execute you or burn you, like these people would be like, fuck you. <laughs> who the fuck do you just do you know sit, sit on your marble throne and diddle some young yeah, boys? Like, yeah. you know, who do you think you are? Um, they, they, you know, these people just didn't believe that the Pope had that kind of mm. temporal authority anymore. Uh, and then, of course, as we've seen, you end up with some humanist popes, like Pope uh, Nicky. Pope Nicky was the first pope that was a humanist, mm-hmm. and uh, these guys were full into it. Yeah, fucking love it. <laughs> it's great. Can't get enough. Science. Can't get Ooh. enough humanism. Yeah. I guess it makes a good point because if Cosimo can be a Christian, but at the same time a banker and loaning money within, you know, using interest, obviously that's against the church te- church's teachings. Then he can also pursue 
philosophy and astronomy or or bankroll someone who wants to do that, even though in the past they might have gotten in trouble for it. But that makes a good point. So they, they're, I guess they're a lot more powerful. The church is a lot more weak. And there's big parts of Italy that the church doesn't directly control. So, yeah, they can do whatever they want. That make, mm. I just, yeah, I just wanted to explore that a little bit. But unlike Plethon, the Greek philosopher we talked about in the last episode, who apparently was a pagan, most of these humanists are still religious, including the artists and, and mm. the philosophers and uh, the, the patrons of the arts. As far as we know, it, it you know, wasn't a clean break uh, away from religion. Right. Religion was still a huge part of their lives. And they just started to... You know, think about other things in other ways. They would often try and figure out how to merge these things into Christianity. They, right. you know, where do they overlap? Where do they differ? And if they do differ, then the Christian view is obviously the right view. But mm. they, they just take an interest in history. It doesn't mean you have to accept what these people say whole as well. It's like I can read Ayn Rand's books, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, and have done all my life. And still thoroughly enjoy them doesn't mean I need to agree with all of her ideas, but I agree with some of her ideas. Right. I find this is this is a thing today that people uh, uh, struggle with complexity. Like if I post an article uh, about you know uh, about know, geopolitics that's published on Russia Today RT or on some other site, mm-hmm. uh, Global Research. Uh, I posted something the other day uh, from Global Research, the death tally of 20 million people dead because of American-led or supported coups uh, since World War II. And David Markham's response was, well, yeah, that's global research. You can't trust anything they say. And I was like, well, I'm not asking you to trust what they say. Look at the facts. This guy quotes the data. If you want to put up an intelligent argument, argue against the arguments don't try and think you can get out of it by besmirching the reputation of the publisher. The same, like right. the same way that uh, you know, my view: all media outlets, all publishers, uh, all analysts, all commentators. Doesn't matter if it's Noam Chomsky or, or Glenn Greenwald or people on the left, you know, and uh, or if it's CNN or the New York Times. Sometimes they're on the money. Sometimes they're not. It's our job to try and tell the difference between the two, to look for evidence, regardless Mm -hmm. of who your source is. Even Russia Today might be right sometimes, even though, yes, it's a Russian state-owned media outlet, sometimes they're probably going to be more accurate than your American corporate uh, media outlets on certain issues. Uh, So I think the point is the ability to deal with complexity wasn't lost on the Renaissance uh, Florentines, they could read Plato, they could read Aristotle, they could read Cicero, they could go, okay, well, this is good stuff. This stuff I don't agree with because it, it contradicts Christianity, but this other stuff is really great. Right. They could deal with that complexity. Incorporate it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so people say, well, if I agree with uh, Trump and Giuliani that the whole Biden-Ukraine thing sounds funny, people go, oh, you're agreeing with Trump now. Go, well, yeah, and this <laughs> particular thing, yes. On this particular so you, issue. So you yeah. want Trump to be elected. I go, what, how, I, no, how did you <laughs> how did you, how did you draw one from the other? Just because I think he might be on the money with this, like a broken clock's right twice a day, my friend. And, you know, just because he, his story here is, you know, there might be some truth to it, uh, doesn't mean, uh, you know, it's fucking dumb. Yeah. People are, that's why I don't like people, right? It's dumb. <laughs> dumb. I'm I'm sorry to have worked you up. Uh, um, so yes, big influx of manuscripts. Cosimo's library at its height was said to have included more than ten thousand manuscripts of ancient Greek, Latin, and Hebrew texts. Now to put that in perspective, do you know how many books Papa Joe had in his library when he died? Um, slightly less. How many? Three. And they were all on? Medieval theology. Yeah. So yeah. that's like that just puts it in perspective. In in one right. generation, the richest man in Florence had three books in his library, all on theology. His son has over 10,000 books on all yeah. manner of things. So 
this is what we're talking about. It really is a, a Cambrian explosion of knowledge and right. uh, interest in that knowledge, more importantly. Now, don't don't get me wrong. Um, Giovanni did, when he retired, spend a lot of money, and um, you know it was his civic duty because, as we've I think we pointed this out, and it certainly will continue on. Florence had a tradition of those with means to beautify the city, support the city, make the city a better place in many different ways. That was their civic duty, and so Giovanni does commission public works, you know that kind of thing. But it's just that this the whole humanist thing, and it was probably the time that he was born. He just was either wasn't into it or he was just too busy being a very successful banker but as we've said Cosimo's got a lot more time he's born obviously later he's got money and he's going to use it um, to to pursue this something that is very fascinating to him but at the end of the day I think he realizes that what makes all of this possible is the money that his father has earned the money that he is earning by being a smart safe rather conservative banker and so you got to keep that going, but that doesn't mean he can't pursue his other passions. Yeah, indeed. Uh, now, he, as I said before, he, he remained a Christian his entire life. The, he insisted that the ledgers of the Medici Bank were headed with the inscription, Colnome de Dio e di Boniventura, uh, in the name of God and prophet, which is probably <laughs> Good fortune Bonaventura would have meant for a banker. In the name of God and prophet, it's basically the uh, motto of the United States, I think. Um, Pretty much. Yeah. But the question of why he invested in the arts so heavily is interesting. Uh, You know, there's a number of theories out there. One is that it may have had something to do with guilt. What would he have felt guilty about, Ray? Well, I mean – God, the very basis of the everything that the Medici's have, their political power, their international prestige, their money, their palaces, their country homes, it all comes from usury. It comes from being a banker. It comes from loaning money and then being and then charging it, uh, interest. And uh, you've quoted other Bible um quotes before as far as obviously this is clearly against the the teaching of Christianity Exodus 22:25 if you lend money you shall not extract interest that's what Cosimo's been doing that's what Giovanni's been doing and that's what they're going to keep on doing he can feel guilty about it but it is the way of the world and their entire world will collapse if he quits doing it but that doesn't mean he probably doesn't feel guilty about it because he's a Christian, he probably does. Yeah. So he figures, well, I'm not going to stop because right. that's where we get our money from. It's like, so It's like masturbation. It's a <laughs> sin, but what else yeah. am I going to do with it? <laughs> well, he, he just figured, you know, like with masturbation and indulgences, he could just oh, buy yeah. Jesus off. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, pretty much as Catholic priests have learned over the years, you can do anything <laughs> – if you, uh, you, you know, donate enough money. Jesus off. Oh, my yeah. God. That is the most. Anyway, no, that, that's a new one for you. I like that. I like that. There's the next coffee mug. Buy, just buy Jesus off. Yeah. yeah. Jerk Jesus off, then buy him <laughs> off uh, <laughs> no. so you don't go to hell. Well, that's what an indulgence basically is, right? You're yeah, buying Jesus absolutely. off. You're going, look, Jesus, I know I did yeah. something really bad. But here's fifty bucks. Uh, am I right. good? Yeah, you're good. We good. All right. Thanks very good. much. See you next week. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I took he, a pill. he would have been aware of Jesus's saying, as it's recorded in the Gospel according to Matthew. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I think but that a- says rich white man, but maybe I'm reading a different Bible. Well, there are only rich white men, um, <laughs> ideally. That's how Jesus wants it. Of course, well, white, white Jesus anyway. Um, of course, Cosimo probably thought that if he couldn't enter the kingdom, he'd just buy it. Yeah. Uh, like, all right, how much How much do you want for the whole thing? He gets to the pearly <laughs> gates. So Peter's like, sorry. Just waves a hand. Usury. Can't how get it. He goes, yeah. Uh, sorry, St. Peter, I just bought the whole place. In fact, uh, look, I'll let you stay on. You know, you've been doing a good job. You can stay on. Um, I I don't want to be a hands-on kind of guy. I just (laughs) want to, I'm like Warren Buffett. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to run it. I just want to own it and direct where the uh, cash flow goes because I've got other things I can do with the cash flow. Right. Yeah. I assume that heaven's a good money maker. Uh, people be. are, you know, those indulgences must be bringing in a pretty penny. <laughs> but it, his conscience is bothering him. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. But yeah, so so if there is conflict in him, and there seems to be, because obviously he's making a ton of money by sinning, you know, you can do good works, but that doesn't mean he's not going to feel guilty because he's still doing it. So by his middle age, he truly seems to be troubled by this. In fact, he does ask for a private audience with Pope Eugenius uh, IV when he's in Florence. And the Pope says, you have to stay true to yourself. No, not really. What he says is, look, if you rebuild the monastery at San Marco, we'll call it good. So I think the Pope saw an opportunity to get something out of Cosimo as Cosimo's pouring his heart out to this guy. Mm. I was going to say that Cosimo's original yeah. plan when he bought heaven was just to raise it and turn it into condos. but uh, <laughs> Or a parking lot. Either yeah, way. yeah. Yeah. For chariots. They, they talked him out of it. <laughs> Apparently it was uh, heritage listed, and uh, he, you know, couldn't, he couldn't, couldn't touch it. Couldn't get it through yeah. the council. Tried to buy it for council. <laughs> uh, yes. So, like like Augustus, uh, he had this view that if he spent a lot of money on public projects, he would build the Medici brand, and that would survive him, but also would make the populace happy because. Right. He's beautifying Florence, and everyone benefits from that. Fuck it, we're still benefiting from that to this very day. Yeah, I I still admire and respect Cosimo because of what he did that we have directly profited from. Well, we're, we're yes. making a show about the Renaissance. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> Literally Thank you, profiting Cosimo. from. But, you know, it's, we, we earn a living by talking about this stuff. But, yeah, just going to Florence and admiring the, the buildings and the art that he uh, directly or indirectly paid for, uh, you know, he, he knew that people would like him for that. He apparently said to Vespasiano, the bookseller, mm-hmm. I know the ways of Florence, and within 50 years we Medici will have been exiled, but my Ooh. buildings will remain. Ah, uh, yeah, he knows how the world works. Mm. But then he but then he takes it to a whole different level, spending money, beautifying the city. People like it. People like you for it. Maybe you're helping, you know, because you're you're creating a lot of jobs so people can take care of their, their families. That's all nice. But then he takes this idea of somehow assuaging his guilt to an entirely new level. So he's talking to the prior, Antonio Periozzi, and this is the man who probably convinced Cosimo, look, if you're just trying to assuage your guilt, that's one thing. But if you want full forgiveness, if you want to wipe the slate clean, you need to get rid of all of the money that you have made in interest. It's the very thing that you're worried about, that, you, that you're stressing over. It's, the, it's the, the profits that you've made. If you get rid of that, and I don't care how you get rid of it, good works would be nice. But if you get rid of it, you take care of the sin. All good. And that's what he proceeds to do. Mm. So I want to talk about the fact that during his reign, uh, Florence prospered, stability, Mm -hmm. profit, business, trade, all of that's going on. And, of course, a lot of fortunes were made. Yeah. But Cosmo was always very careful to make sure that these nouveau riche (laughs) didn't get so powerful that they could threaten his power. He noticed that – any family that was accumulating sufficient wealth could become a possible political Ooh. opponent, and, and so he had a he had a way of handling political the, the, these new rich people. Right? Uh, <laughs> what, what was his approach? Well, there's step one. Step one is you, you go up to cut a hole and, in a box. Cut a hole in a box. Okay, two steps. No, step one is you pretty much you go up to him and you don't have to lie about it because even though he has this facade of not being the guy in power, everybody fucking knows he's the power. So you go up to the person or the head of the family that's acquiring just a little too much money and you just be honest with them. You look, 
I don't want you to have all this cash lying around. You might become the focal point, the center point of a rebellion. You might suddenly decide to hire a bunch of mercenaries and charge a Florence. I don't want you to have all this cash. Here's what I recommend that you do. Go out, buy some lands, go out, buy some huge tracts of lands. In fact, you know what? Once you do that, maybe we can make you a noble. We can give you a title. We can do something. But the point is, you've got too much money on the books. And I would really, really appreciate it if you spent some of it. I don't care what you spend it on, but spend some of your money. You've got too much cash. That's step one. Step two is he waits 48 hours. And if they don't, that's when you bring in the tax assessment guys, um, Guido, Butch, and Scarface, and then they come in, look at everything that you own, and they assess your taxes to such a point that you are now ruined, and Cosimo and the Medici are safe. Pretty much two steps, besides the hole in the box. Step one, cut a hole in the box. <laughs> Just case. You never know step, if you're going to need it. Step two? My penis. Uh... <laughs> I'm glad you're having fun. That's important to me. Hey, did and you? My, I just my penis I just realized. makes you happy. <laughs> it makes I, me uh, happy. <laughs> I, I I mentioned in our last episode that uh, we've been working together for six years. Um, <laughs> this is the longest business partnership I've ever had. Wow! By what far, does that say by about far, me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. You make you I make feel, me laugh. Feel, you make me laugh. That's what it says. Yeah. I feel honored. Cool. <laughs> cool. And I'm not stealing from you. Kind of. I kind of am. Never mind. Scratch that. I'm going to edit that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's the secret to a good relationship, whether it's a business relationship or a marriage. Right. You got to make each other laugh. If you make each other yes. laugh, get you through good. a lot. Get yes. you through laziness. Uh, <laughs> You know, lack of libido. Uh, you know, quit talking to Heather. Lack of blowjobs. Right. Know. Jesus. Anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway, where was I? Oh, that's right. Lack Sorry. of blowjobs. Right. Um, yeah, Cosimo knew that uh, he, he had to keep these people. Uh, you know, you can be rich, just not yeah. rich enough. Right. But he he continued to sort of remain behind the scenes. Like Augustus, he didn't want to be seen as a monarch. He wanted the yeah. the, the the institutions to keep functioning. Okay, they'd have to check with him before they made any big decisions. But still. But he, he didn't want to be too out uh, in front of right. things. He was happy to be... The quiet guy behind the scenes pulling the yeah. strings most Just of the guy. time. Right. But everyone knew who the real boss was, of course, and yeah. most of them, like in the case of Augustus, I think, most of the people in Florence were pretty happy with the situation. Right. Like Augustus, Cosimo brought stability, prosperity. Times, times are good. He, yes. wasn't, he wasn't a brutal tyrant. Right. Uh, like if, if you were a threat to his power, okay, then he had to step up and do something about it for his right. own, but for his own survival. I mean, we know yeah. that his life was threatened several times before he was in power, just right. by fact that he was rich, mm -hmm. the Albizzi and these people, uh, uh, threatened his life, right. yeah. exiled him. Yeah. He's not exiling these nouveau riche. He's not no, killing them. Exactly. He's just giving them a warning. Look, go spend some of your cash yeah. so you can't spend it on mercenary armies, basically, yeah. uh, or, or bribing people. Go spend it on some country properties. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're going to get a bill in the mail. That's all. Like, So in terms of – like I know we, we go, oh, well, that's a bit tyrannical, but in terms of tyrants of his day, and we're going to talk about right. Visconti in a minute, yeah. Cosimo was very mild-mannered, uh, very, very yeah. gentle in the ways of the uh, dictator or the tyrant. Right. Um, to, and, and again, most people were very happy. He's, he's patron of the arts, of these building shit. He's keeping them fairly at peace and fairly prosperous, although, as we'll see, does go awry at certain stages. Um but that's what happens if you stay in power long enough. Uh, 
shit's going to go bad every now and again. But have you noticed? Have you noticed one? We haven't mentioned a ton of people being killed. We haven't mentioned a ton of people being um, tortured. We also haven't mentioned tons of wars that Cosimo could easily pay for to grab more and more territory. Um, as we're going to go into the Duke of Milan and others, were constantly trying to expand either their influence or flat out their kingdoms or territory. I mean, he could have raised serious ass armies, and he could have you know tried to expand Florence. He's like, no. Well, what I got's good. Let's just, um, you know, we'll just stay roughly the size that we are. And as long as we can be bankers and make a lot of money and we, we can, like Warren Buffett, make a lot of millionaires or whatever in the town. It's all good. It's all good. He's not doing any of those things. He's not perfect. I'm sure some people probably had to be dealt with. But the point is, that's just not who he is. That's just not the way he operates. And Florence and Italy in general is benefiting from that. Hmm. Yeah, he's just interested in business. He, let's yeah. let's do business, which was a new thing. Uh, right. He, that he was a, a, a one of the first modern rulers in that he wasn't interested only in acquisition. He was interested in trade. Now, this is because trade for Florence was very profitable. Mm-hmm. They could like they they were in a very good situation because of the the exclusivity of some of the um, uh, trade, some of the guilds, mm-hmm. uh, the high quality of the products that they were able to produce that we've talked about in earlier episodes. Right. But uh, also that his power with the Medici Bank, he was able to profit not only from Florentine trade but trade between other states because he had Medici Bank branches nearly everywhere in Europe and yes. in London at this stage. So what you want to do when you have bank branches all around Europe is you want peace uh, because you want business to continue. Now, that's not to say that there isn't money to be made out of war, financing Mm -hmm. wars, something that the Rothschilds uh, did very well a few centuries later. They were sort of the new Medici. But um, It's risky. It's risky. Yes, it is risky. And, and what happens, uh, as we've seen before in the discussion of banking families, Florentine banking families of this period, if you finance the wrong side, uh, you can end up losing uh, – going bankrupt. If the other side wins and they go, well, we're not paying your debts, pay that with the other guy's debts. Fuck you. You're done, son. And so uh, it was risky. Yeah. Now, like – the Rothschilds also, his bank branches acted as intelligence agents all Ooh, over sure. Europe, like USAID does today for the United States. They <laughs> right. were able to not only funnel information about uh, business competitors, banking competitors, political uprisings, uh, geopolitical plays that were coming, they had their ears to the street. The, having banks in all of these areas, they were able to spread cash, backsheesh, right. far and wide <laughs> to That's influence right. yeah. uh, the goings-on in all of these cities in Europe, get information on their enemies, you know, financially. So I did this interview last night for the Bullshit Filter Um yeah, I didn't invite you on because we did it at like 2 a.m. your time, but Dove Thank Levin is a scholar right. – uh, Israeli-American is scholar, formerly Carnegie Mellon. He's now at the University of Hong Kong. He's done this massive study of political uh, – uh, sorry, uh, partisan electoral interference by the great powers from mm-hmm. 1946 to the year 2000, basically looking at interference in elections, right. uh, not coup d'etats, not – you know, assassination attempts to bring about regime change or, or supporting military regime change but uh, or invasions, but purely mm. manipula- trying to manipulate elections. And he said he counted 111 over that period, 81 by the United States, 36 wow. by the Soviet Union and or Russia. USA. Uh, some were covert and some were overt. About a third were overt out in the open. But they said, so what are, what are the main ways that they would do this, uh, whether it's covert or overt? He goes, well, it's, it's mostly money. 
you come in and you you give hundreds of millions of dollars to the political party that you want to win, and then they can use that on bribing uh, people, either officials or the or the military or right. the media or just the people. Um, he talks about how Bill Clinton did this for Boris Yeltsin in 1996 when. Boris Yeltsin was going up for re-election and it wasn't looking good. I think he had a 6% approval rate. Um, And Bill Clinton swooped in with about $10 billion, convinced the IMF to give Russia about $10 billion, even though they weren't – they didn't meet the standards at the time for IMF money. Clinton pulled some strings they gave Yeltsin $10 billion, which he immediately used for pork barreling to uh, build up his political right. support and Whatever won. Works. And Yay. who did he who did he handpick as his successor? Putin? I don't know. Vladimir Putin. Putin, yeah. Bill Clinton got, bor- you know, spent $10 billion getting Boris Yeltsin elected so Fucking Boris Yeltsin Putin. could hand power to Putin. Thanks, uh, Bill. Yeah. Thanks. I bet you Bill and Hillary have had some interesting conversations about that. <laughs> anyway, the point being that spending money to uh, influence elections was happening back in Cosimo's day, still right. happening today. Gotcha. But uh, that that interview in full will be up on the bullshit filter as soon as I get around to editing it, probably early next week. I'll probably mm-hmm. put it out on the Cold War feed at some stage too because it's kind of relevant for both shows. Right. Um, funny guy though, Dove. He's a uh, very heavy Israeli accent, and he yelled for the entire <laughs> interview. Val! A Jew yelling. At you. <laughs> it was like talking to a Jewish Hitler. I want to say this about no. this subject. No. It's like, man. Okay. This yeah. is not two tin cans and a string. I can hear you. Yeah, I wasn't sure. <laughs> uh, are the riots in Hong Kong very loud or something today? <laughs> hear very well. Um, yes. Now, uh, his main enemy during this period, Cosimo's main enemy, was, of course, Milan. He had lots of enemies, but Milan was a big one. We've talked a little bit about Milan before. It was a rich and powerful city-state. Its border was only about 50 miles north of Florence at this stage. And since 1412, it had been ruled by... Duke Filippo Maria Visconti, who succeeded his brother, Gian Maria Visconti. He was the second Duke of Milan. He, Mm -hmm. Gian, this is, became Duke at the age of 13. Oh, God. uh, Went on to have his own mother murdered and had attacked dogs that were trained to kill people. Who doesn't? He was assassinated in front of a church at the age of 24, perhaps not surprisingly. He was, uh, he, you know, his role model was Caligula, apparently. Right. Um, and then, uh, well, their father, the first duke, was Gian Galeazzo Visconti. He had taken control of Milan by poisoning his own uncle. Damn. So this is the Visconti family. Uh, like, <laughs> like, like, Seriously, so comparing Cosimo as right. a tyrant, you've got to compare him to the Visconti <laughs> family, really, to put it in perspective. This is what they're dealing with. Um, right. Did you do any uh, deep and meaningful research on Filippo Visconti, Ray? Well, I just wanted to say real quick that I found it interesting that, you know, he, like you said, he comes to power when his brother's killed. His brother's killed by a party of Milanese Ghibellines. We were talking earlier about the, the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. So so even though we're not talking about it now, that is still around and that's still something that affects the internal politics of, uh, of uh, Italy. I did want to ask, I read about, you know, that he was that he was ugly. Well, you can be ugly. That just means your your features are balanced and proportioned and and um, and proportional or whatever and pleasing. But did did he have some kind of skin affliction or something? I mean, just to say that he was so ugly that he stayed away from public. I'm just trying to understand. I thought he had some kind of either skin or or deformity that he was super ugly and he, and he stayed out of public. Did you run across any kind of skin disease in your research? You ever watch David Lynch's Dune film? 
uh, the Dune a long time ago. Yeah, Don't David Lynch's nineteen eighty four Dune. Basically, uh, Filippo Visconti was Baron Harkonnen, just uh, covered in boils, uh, fat, skin uh, conditions, hugely obese. Um, yeah, not sexy. He lived. Okay. He lived as a recluse in his fortress. Never came out. His own people very rarely saw him. Right. Refused to attend public ceremonies, even if a visiting emperor or royalty came in because of how disgustingly fat and ugly he was. By the way, getting back to the Guelphs and the Ghibellines, can you remember which is which? The Ghibellines uh, is for the emperor and the Guelphs is for the pope. Ah, very good. I had a 50-50 chance. Yeah. Uh, The way I always remember, I think I said this on the show, is Guelphs is a short word, like Pope. Right, right. And Ghibelline longer for Emperor. Yes, yeah. that's what yeah. I was going with. Woo! How many years ago um, was that? A, a year? Oh, God, man. How long have we been doing this show? 73 episodes, know. three a month. So 73 divided by three, 24 months, two years. Yeah. God. Years we've been doing this show. Pretty much exactly, I think. We probably started exactly two years ago. I'd have to look oh at it. Oh, my God. Well, we're having fun. At least we're into the Renaissance. Like when we've been doing the Cold War for two years, I think we were still <laughs> in World War Two. So, you know, this is progress. I said to Chrissy last night after I finished my research, well, I just I just do my research on the last 30 years of Cosimo de' Medici's life. She goes, well, how many episodes is that going to take you? Like 100? <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, hey. Low blow, hey. Hey, yo. Come on now. A little support. Why you got to do me like that? <laughs> hey. Um, yeah, he lived in this fortress, wouldn't, wouldn't come out to meet people, was paranoid about plots to kill him. So he slept in uh, bed chambers, heavily armed with guards. He would switch beds three times <laughs> a night. To evade possible assassins, I or he just kept wetting the beds, and I mean, he said he said it was to evade possible assassins, but, but I he was is a Bruce Jenner, it, pulled a Bruce Jenner. I don't. What's that? Well, oh, you haven't I, seen that? So. Oh, he. Um, oh God, I'll, I'll send you the movie. Supposedly, he wet as a as a boy, and his mother would embarrass him, and he would run home to. Try, his mother would hang the sheets out of his bedroom window with the obviously with the yellow stain, and he would run home after school and try to get in there and pull him up before his friends could say, Anyway, I'll send you the movie. But Bruce Jenner supposedly wet the bed um, past the normal time when you should have control of your bladder. But I'll send you the movie. So that's why he was a good runner because he'd have to run home? Supposedly, that was a part of the whole thing yeah i that we're going back to the 70s so i barely know what i'm talking about here but or eight early 80s but anyway i'll send you a link to then the movie. later in life he thought if i could just cut my penis off <laughs> i wouldn't have to worry about it wouldn't have this problem anymore <laughs> what's he gonna do next anyway <laughs> oh shit we're going to hell um yes yeah, so he would switch beds three times a night um I read that on summer days he liked to get naked and sure. roll about in his garden. I, I, who um, doesn't? Who doesn't love to roll about naked in the garden? or something. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, this feels good on my bad day. On my bad day. Uh, he complained <laughs> that he could never see my penis because he was too fat. <laughs> I don't want him to see. He my loved us. Right. I read that he loved he loved a good practical joke. He would often pull a live snake out of the sleeve of his robe during meetings and just throw it at people. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, a fucking hilarious, <laughs> Filippo. <laughs> he, oh my um, god, what a dick. He was also very superstitious. He constructed a special double-doored soundproofed <laughs> chamber. Right. In the middle of his castle because he was afraid of thunder. Like, who right. else was afraid of thunder? Oh, um, was that Augustus? Augustus, yeah. Augustus. Okay. He was afraid of thunder, so he had to hide in a soundproof chamber. Jeez, pansy. Sorry. Now, when when he 
suddenly ascended to the throne or the dukedom at the age of 20 after his brother was assassinated, he found the treasury was all but empty. So in order to get some quick cash, he married the 40-year-old widow of one of his mercenaries, Facino Cane. She, her name was Beatrice. She brought a dowry of 500,000 florins. Not bad. Not millions and millions of dollars in today's money. But bad. yeah, she, did, she didn't want to fuck him because – I don't want to fuck him. Sorry, go ahead. Fat and ugly. <laughs> so he had her arrested and put on trial for infidelity with a teenage page boy. Look, he was a smoking hot stud. His nickname was Tripod. He did carry, he was a loot player. He played for Beatrice and her maids of honor. But I guess that was just a trumped up charge because she wouldn't put out. So he was like, I got to get rid of you. Besides, I already got your money. I really don't need you anymore. He had all of her maids of honor tortured. God. Until they confessed to Beatrice's infidelity, and then they were all executed to make sure they couldn't change their mind afterwards, and all evidence related to their trial was stricken from the records. What what evidence? They were screaming, yes, she did it. Please stop with the red hot poker. I mean, Mm. anyway, Mm. that's, that's fucked up. Then he married uh, Maria of Savoy. Uh, She was very young at the time. That was sort of a strategic marriage. It helped him protect Milan from attack against the north, Savoy being to the north. Mm -hmm. But when the couple went to their wedding bed on the first night, now can imagine this poor girl. Yes. She's like 18, smoking hot princess. (laughs) Do you know She's who he going looks like? to bed he lo- with he looks like fucking- Jabba the Hutt. He looks like Jabba the Hutt, I bet. Yeah, Jabba the Hutt. She's going to bed with Jabba the Hutt. Cross between Jabba the Hutt, Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> and Baron Harkonnen. And lucky for her, <laughs> before he could get right, uh, he heard a dog howling somewhere sure. in the night and sure. took it as an omen and refused to have his wife under the same roof, which was probably a good decision for her. So probably saved her life. Right, right, yeah. I mean, but this is just another example. Was this guy mentally deranged? Did he come to power too early? He wasn't mature. Did he not get a first-class education? I mean, what the fuck is going on with this guy and his mental faculties? Yeah, well, the the accounts that I've read say that he was probably insane. Um, And, you know, some of this might be anti-Milanese propaganda. But I don't know. Yeah, like like Tiberius and and Caligula. But I think, uh, you know, there's enough contemporary records from the time that it's probably – there's a lot of truth to it. Anyway, he, he didn't have any official Heir as a result of this, um, he's never sleeping with his young bride, right. but right. he did produce an illegitimate daughter called Bianca, who, Aww. as we know, ended up married to the condottieri Francesco Sforza, who Cosimo, well, befriended and or bought off. Right. Like now, Jesus, he right. bought Sforza off. Now, everything we just said about this guy, you can imagine how tough this is for Cosimo. I mean, he's got Mr. Crazy to the north. You never know what he's going to do, whether it's based on something rational or not. But the point is, and I think you mentioned this earlier, Filippo did want Milan to be the supreme power in northern Italy. He is trying to expand. He is trying to bring low Florence and any other towns around him. So Cosimo not only has to be super careful dealing with this guy directly or indirectly, but on a whole nother level. Well, it doesn't matter. If this guy gets a crazy idea in his head, he might attack just for the sake of it. So this is one of the this is one of the um, the things that's going to really test Cosimo's ability when it comes to foreign policy. Mm. 
Yeah, so they had a lot of run-ins with Milan, as they always had have, even right. before Cosimo's time in power. Yes. We've talked about some of those, one of the, the traditional enemies of Florence. Um, now, Visconti made several attempts to invade Florence, uh, some of the later ones spurred on by Ronaldo degli Albizzi, the, uh, the former number one man in Florence that had exiled Cosimo and tried to have him killed and then Cosimo exiled him. He's right. still alive. He's not dead. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's, he's you know, shit. stirring yeah. up shit in Milan, trying to get them to invade. And, in fact, they did. He did. Albizzi led a Milanese army against Florence in 1440. Yeah. But uh, they were repulsed quite easily. Do you have any more details on that affair? Well, let me give. Let me just give that a little. Um, the, the right before that. So, so F- Milanese armies attack in fourteen thirty seven. They attack in fourteen thirty eight. They're pushed back, and because of this constant threat, that's when Cosimo officially hires again. You know, in a, in a specific sense, his his new friend, his new best friend, you know, Francesco Sforza, and he orders him to drive off the Milanese from Florentine territory. So he's got that going on. But like you said, Albizzi is not going to let this go. He's going to keep trying. In fact, he's going to lead his own assault against that. But the point is. This sets up something, another uh, one of the many problems for Cosimo because one, he hires um, Sforza to handle this, but, but Sforza won't actually attack and kill and wipe out the Milanese army because he wants to not be on the bad side of Visconti because he still wants to marry his illegitimate daughter. So that's okay. He understands that. But then Cosimo goes to Venice and he asks for for their help because they are allies and, and Venice refuses to send troops forward. So Venice doesn't want Florence getting any more powerful. And now Cosimo knows that they're not really, when it comes down to it, his ally. So he's in a tricky situation. And now, like you just said, um, uh, Albizzi himself is leading a force from Milan attacking because he's so fed up with everybody else trying it and failing. He's going to lead this on his own because, like you were saying a second ago, this is personal. He's trying to get back at Cosimo because Albizzi lost everything when he was exiled. Mm. Now, this uh, battle uh, culminated in a very famous battle, the Battle of Anghiari. Mm. It was fought on the 29th of June, 1440. Mm -hmm. It was between the forces of Milan on one side and the Italian League, led by Florence, on the other side. Uh, and it's there was about uh, 8,000 troops in the Italian League, about 4,000 papal troops, about 4,000 Florentine troops, and about uh, 300 uh, mercenaries, I think, from Venice right. um, that he'd acquired. Uh, now, it's famous for a number of reasons. Uh, according to... Uh, some scholars like Machiavelli who writes about this, the skirmish went on pretty much all day and mm. only one person died. <laughs> and that was a soldier who fell off his horse. I told you we are qualified to be Italian soldiers. I think we could do it because that's how tough We've we talk- fight. Yeah. And we've talked about this before with these mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the troops were made up of mercenaries. Mercenaries had no incentive to end a war or kill the other side. Yeah. They, were just, they, were, they were being paid by the hour. So they were like, <laughs> oh, we're fighting really hard. Oh, yeah. A bit like you doing hold, your hold, research. Oh, hold, yeah, up, hold up your shield and I'll hit it. Uh, 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 I'm hitting a shield. I'm really, I'm really reading this Wikipedia page. I'm reading the shit out of it. Oh, wow, such a great Wikipedia page I'm reading. Um, And YouTube, don't forget YouTube. Yeah, watching the YouTube, working hard (laughs) over here in Virginia. If I have to help you insult me, what am I? God, anyway. Hey, don't worry. At least I haven't brought up my penis for 10 minutes. (laughs) If I really wanted to insult you, I'd get under that. Um and now this Battle of Anghiari is also famous because Leonardo da Vinci dedicated Ooh. one of his very few paintings to a painting of the battle, right? which uh, hasn't survived. Uh, 
you know how it is. Uh, yeah. People are like, yeah, what's that? Just a Da Vinci fucking, you know, scrape, the, scrape it off, scrape it off, burn it, yeah, burn, burn it. it, whatever. It's good for good for nothing. Uh, well, it's but I'm not sure we know what happened to it. It's it's lost, but right. uh, you know, some of the library, yeah, probably, yeah, or Saudi Saudi Arabian <laughs> prince has got it on his yacht somewhere that only he and Donald Trump are allowed to look at it. It's called the Lost Leonardo. Some people still believe it might be hidden beneath one of the frescoes in the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence. Uh, What we do know about it is Peter Paul Rubens, an artist and also had a very famous folk trio in Florence during the late Renaissance. Uh, Rubens was later replaced by a woman called Mary and became Peter Paul and Mary. I knew that. Um, he, uh, he painted a copy of it in 1603, mm-hmm. which was based on an engraving from 1553 by Lorenzo Zacchia, and it itself was supposedly derived from a cartoon by Leonardo. Huh. Um, so that's all we know of it, but a uh, very famous painting of horses and guys with swords and some of uh, Leonardo's studies that have survived, uh, uh, like studies of warriors' heads and that kind of stuff, are from apparently this Battle of Anghiari oh, that gotcha. he did, the Lost Leonardo, as it's uh, known. Right. So anywho, uh, that happened, and after the, the Milanese uh, were destroyed, uh, Albizzi gave up and went on an extended holiday to uh, Palestine. Right. Well, the battle was in 1440. Do you know what else happened in 1440? Somebody dies. Oh, no, who died? Lorenzo, Cosimo's younger brother. Oh, really? And and, and just to finish off, Ronaldo, if I may, I don't want to just step on your toes. So he goes to he goes to the Holy Land. He comes back to Acona, which is northeast of Rome, and he dies in 1442. So that enemy of Cosimo's is finally gone. But yeah, in 1440, Lorenzo dies, which obviously you know affects Cosimo severely. You know because he loved his brother very much. Who had who had been very important to him when he sent him on diplomatic missions in the past, but he is no more. What happened to Lorenzo? I'm not sure. I think he also suffered from the family illness that we're going to go into later that Cosimo gets, uh, but I'm not sure the exact details. Lorenzo the Elder. Yes, as he was known. Uh, yeah, died in 1440. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, nothing. I got nothing here that mentions how he died, right. why he died. He was uh, uh, quite young, forty-five when he yeah. died. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I believe that he was the ancestor of all the Grand Dukes of Tuscany and to seven kings of France. Mm-hmm. Wow. Got around. And he died 45. Good work. Yeah. Thank you. Good work, Lorenzo. <laughs> Good work on picking so, that up. You did, yeah. did some work, Ray. Did some research. And I'm done. I'll see you next week. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, please continue. Now, when Filippo Visconti died in 1447, he refused to acknowledge Francesco Sforza as his rightful heir, even though he had uh, married his illegitimate daughter, Bianca, and didn't have any heirs of his own. And so I think, as we've talked about in an earlier episode, uh, Sforza just marched his army into Milan (laughs) and declared himself the new duke. Now, Cosimo had always... Cosimo had already sort of befriended Sforza at this stage, so he and and bought him off. Basically, uh, you may remember Florence basically said, "Look, if we give you ten thousand Florins a year, will you just not attack us anymore?" Right. He's like, "Sure, fuck off." Sounds like yeah. a good deal. Um, but this this deal uh, had dangerous consequences, as it turned out, for Florence because yeah. Venice 
immediately broke off relations with Florence and allied itself with Naples, Mm-mm. which still believed that it had a claim to the dukedom of Milan due to family right. bloodlines and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the reason that Venice was unhappy is because Florence is now on friendly relations with Milan. Right. And, you know, these guys, it's like England in, in Europe uh, for the last few hundred years uh, or the United States with any country around the world that looks like it might be getting closer to the Soviet Union in the Cold War or Russia today, you know, you don't want people, you know, your, your uh, friends all of a sudden becoming friends with your enemies because right. they may gang up on you. Yeah. And so the, when when Florence was all of a sudden on friendly terms with Naples, the Venetians went, oh, oh, oh no, I don't think so. With well, Milan. we're, we're going to – what did I say, Naples? Sorry, with Milan, right. we're going to become friends with Naples. Uh-huh. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's a new power alignment in Italy. Jesus. Yeah. And but, Florentine but, citizens were expelled yeah. from Venice and Naples, and the Medici Bank was forced to close down its branches. And both- Ooh. That's like a kick in the nuts. Yeah, and all the people in Venice and, and Naples that owed money to the Medici Bank or to the Medici's or whatever reneged. And so, yeah, Cosimo is going to feel that in the knickers. But Sforza, being the good young um, friend that he is, tells Cosimo, you know what, to help compensate, why don't you open up a branch in Milan and and uh, I've got a palace for you. You can just move your guys right on, get to work, and hopefully that will help make up some of the loss you got from those other two banks. These guys are getting closer and closer, and they're aligning their interests and their finances together. Yes, Forza said, I got this. And... Uh... <laughs> So, once again, Cosimo's luck or strategy had right. come through. He had bet on this guy that, uh, you worked know, basically out. worked out. In fact, the Medici Bank basically became the Ministry of Finance for Sforza's dukedom of Milan. But the people of Florence aren't that happy with the new alliance. They had fought against Milan too many times. It's a bit like right. it's a bit like the people of Constantinople being said, guess what? We're now on friendly terms with the Catholics. And they were like, oh, <laughs> I don't think don't so. I fucking think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're pissed. So- Sort of, pissed. yeah, they were kind of a little bit pissed at them. Like, well, I've had sons and brothers and fathers and friends right. that have died fighting Milan. Now we're friendly with a bit, a bit like the view of John McCain towards the Vietnamese. They were like, I still <laughs> call them gooks. I'm always going to call them gooks, as John oh McCain <laughs> famously said in 2008 or something. <laughs> but, th- but this is not only is this a one of the few. I would think that Cosimo mistakes, um, you know, uh, by pissing off Venice or whatever, and there's this new power alignment against him. It gets even worse than that because the Florentine people who were kicked out of Naples and Florence, uh, Venice, they obviously come back to Florence, and maybe they're just pissed, maybe they're bitter, I have no idea, but rumors start about Cosimo that says he's only supporting Sforza because Sforza owes him so much money, he wants to get it back by having his branch that he doesn't care about us anymore, he, ju- he just wants to get his money back, and so he's choosing a guy who now runs Milan over the welfare of his own people. So it's starting to get ugly. There's rumors or whatever, and this is probably not something that Cosimo's used to dealing with because he's kept Florence running so smoothly, relatively speaking. People's lives have been pretty good, but now there is some discontent. Now, Venice, as I said, is feeling under threat uh, because of this new alliance. So they sent an email to the Holy (laughs) Roman Emperor, Right. Fred, Freddy, Freddy, Freddy three, <laughs> three finger, right? Do you know what his nickname was? Um, no, please tell me. His nickname was the Arch Sleepyhead of the Holy Roman Empire. Why? And I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. That was his, because he was, he was, um, he had a reputation of being lazy and indecisive. <laughs> Right. One one guy said he's the emperor who wants to conquer the whole world while remaining seated. Yeah. Apparently, he liked to put off decisions, and 
this was seen at the time as being lazy or somebody who, you know, just was pretty disconnected from reality. But these days, some scholars see him as actually quite clever because he would just let stuff blow over. Not get his. Right. They were like, "Oh, we need to go and invade this country." He's no. like, "Do we? <laughs> do we though? Do we? Do we really? Do we really? Let's just take how, a nap first. How about we just <laughs> let them fight each other, and right. then come in and clean up yeah. afterwards? Wouldn't that be yeah. a better use of our time and money?" And they're like, "Oh, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't thought about that." And yeah. like Augustus, he reigned for forty-one years. This guy he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's yeah. like, "Yeah, I." Uh, the I think we'll down. just we'll just wait and see what happens. Uh, let's yeah. not rush in. What's what was Augustus's uh, famous quote? Uh, Make haste slowly. That's it. Nice one. Yeah. I was going to go you. with the one about. Uh, didn't he have one about asparagus too? Spoil, but uh, that quick as boiled asparagus or something like that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So so his actual wait. No, yeah. I got a good one. Go ahead. Do you know what? Do you know what King Freddie's uh, personal motto was? Um, close the door and the lights, I'm sleeping? No, what? Again, I'm not even kidding with this. It, it's personal motto, and he had this printed on all of his belongings, was A-E-I-O-U. <laughs> For why? For this. Greatest songs of 1982. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. Maybe three. Uh, you don't know that? Oh, no. Big. What did the lyrics in the verse have to do with fuck all with the chorus? No, no, no one knows. <laughs> so it's I'm not missing great, anything. That's right. why it's a great song. No one knows. No one knows what it's about. It's just catchy. Yeah, it's catchy. yeah, it is catchy. Yeah, I, I was freeze, dancing. Freeze with three E's. F R. E E Z. Right. That's how I would uh, spell it. Yeah, no wonder I couldn't find it on uh, Spotify. <laughs> so, so, yes, he had A E I O U imprinted on all of his belongings. No one knows why. He never explained it. I'm, I'm the king. I'm the emperor, bitch. Just do it. Just sew it in there. Uh, he's like, listen, I just love a good vowel. Don't you love a vowel? <laughs> Love a good vowel. I'm the king of vowels. That's my name. I want you to call me the king of vowels. Now, one theory is that it stood for Austria est imperia orbi universali. Sure. Which means? All the world is subject to Austria. Not true. Uh, Hitler had the same motto, I think. I, um, <laughs> I think, though, it, it, he just he loved a good vowel. He couldn't yeah. remember his vowels. He was a when vowelist. He was playing, when he was right. <laughs> vowel, vowelinist. When he uh, was playing Scrabble, he, he, right. he'd just peel these things off his clothing and throw them down if he needed to finish Boom. a word with yeah. Right. I'm the emperor. What are you going to do? Know. Weird dude, King Freddy. So anyway, um, getting back to Venice, Venice appealed to King Freddy, arch sleepyhead, yes. the King Vowelist. To uh, intervene and and break up the alliance between Florence and Milan because they saw it as a threat. Right. Now, and he he agreed to do it. So in response to that, Cosimo decided that his only option was oh. to appeal for support from King Freddie's enemy, King right. Chucky of France. 
King Chucky Seven. Oh my God! But see, but see, this this is a delicate thing because Cosmo has to be careful here. One, you know, he doesn't want war, and two, he really doesn't want the French army coming down because he knows the French king has got territorial ambitions in Italy. So. Obviously, it would be really bad for Italy if France comes down with with an impressive force. But Cosmo's got to do something to hopefully check um, Frederick III. So again, this is a very dicey, high-stakes game that he's playing, but I don't think he has much of a choice. It's his only go-to move. By the way, Freddy versus Chucky is the crossover, <laughs> the crossover horror movie from the 80s that I think that we're we gonna, all, we're we are all holding out for. Yeah, we what is Ho- what is Hollywood doing? That's all they need to <laughs> They're wasting do time. is come up with. Fuck. All right. That's all the time we have for this week. We'll be back next week with more of my penis. <laughs>